0: So the um, topic for discussion today, that um, the topic of conviction and challenging, um, God challenging us and other people challenging us. And um, so over the past few years, I've had a lot of, um, let's say, revisiting a lot of the things I believe and why. And this thought, it's kind of those little grains that get stuck in my head a bit, like you get, like dirt stuck in your shoe how I respond when God challenges me, or how I respond to other people, or, um, or when other people challenge me or I challenge them. And it actually kind of came to the forefront of my mind um, a couple of months ago on a very like, otherwise unremarkable evening, a classic suburban working mother sitting, have, reading the news in my phone and having a glass of red wine. And I just had this little voice say, I think you should stop doing that for a bit. Just inside my head. It wasn't my family, don't worry. Um, and I sort of thought oh that's a little bit weird I mean I probably drink one glass of red wine a week after a if I've had a really especially bad day at work on top of it already pretty poor you know career decisions I generally make um, oh it just must be my mind playing tricks but then the little voice persisted again <coughs> but this time I became a little bit defensive I was a bit like oh gosh that can't be what's happening I mean the Bible is like, it can't be wrong because the Bible has so much beautiful imagery and poetry about alcohol and Jesus turned water into wine, Mm -hmm. you know, right, exactly. And then I started to wonder, am I projecting onto God some of the like black and white views that I'd grown up with, some of the right or wrong, um, yes, no views about alcohol amongst a number of things that I would have acquired growing up on a dry mission base. And I was actually kind of troubled that I had that thought pop straight into my head. Because I feel like I've put a lot of effort in the last 10 plus years to shake that image of a God like that, of a a rule-obsessed, boundary-marking God who pins his thumb down on his followers until it's too uncomfortable or just too painful to not obey. And then the next day I was sitting with my sister, who is an extremely talented, I think it's called. musculoskeletal therapist hopefully I've said that right she'll tell me if I haven't Um, and while I was unashamedly asking for endless free treatment um, based on sister (laughs) privileges she sat next to me and put her hand on my shoulder and she just pressed her thumb in and went oh gosh I can tell that's the spot that's giving you trouble isn't it and then pressed her thumb in a bit more and I just felt God say that's what I'm like I'm the expert well-trained, skilled therapist Mm -hmm. who can tell the bits that needs to push in just a little to loosen what's giving you pain, what's holding you back from doing the things you want to and need to do with your life. And look, it turned out God was suggesting stepping back from drinking red wine for a few weeks because my already pretty terrible job was about to get much worse and my ongoing health issues were about to massively escalate. And I'd just be better off handling all of those things if I didn't have a ready-made avoidance strategy. And the whole thing went for a couple of weeks. And in the end, it wasn't actually really about alcohol. I was still left really uncomfortable with that feeling of, how is it that I so quickly went back to that image of God, of the angry some God? And like most people, I've had some, like, less than positive experiences of legalism, of rule-obsessed, one-size-fits-all behavior modification Christianity, where at points I've felt like other people's convictions were being directly stamped into my soul. And that's not to mention all the other broader harms we're all aware of, where the religious interpretations of just a few get applied to everyone. Yet. I began to wonder if in my very, very appropriate desire to move away from legalism, I wonder if I'd still left space for conviction, for the hot stone massage kind of challenging, where a thumb gently presses in to the part that hurts, to the part that's holding me back from what I want to and need to do with my life. The older I get, the more I'm aware that my calling in life is not to be the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. And I'm aware that so much of the damage that we do to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is when we try. The older I get, I start to realise that just maybe God's actually up for that job. And I know that does not sound like a a contentious statement at all, does it? It doesn't on the face of it. But the second you start saying that we want to trust God to challenge whom, when, how and in what mechanisms the people that he's choosing Then we start to have all these other little questions creep up. We start to question, like, well, where is the line that we can call people out on and for things that are harming them or harming someone else or what's wrong and how far outside of our beliefs is really acceptable. And well, where's that line between accepting different ideas and opinions or advocating things that hurt people? no matter how progressive and open-minded we really want to be, there's like this little grain of a thought that just seems to stick. This like little niggling fear somewhere back here that if we don't know when we get to call people out, then we're going to end up in this crazy free-for-all where anything goes and obviously the really, really important lessons from the Bible don't count. But it just seems to be there no matter how well-intentioned we are. So how do we balance these things? And why do we so fear not being able to potentially call someone out? Um, Maybe it's our desire to like sit under the simplicity of black and white rules where there is no nuance. Maybe we want those like clear expectations. Maybe it's because sometimes we do feel a little bit superior when we get to call someone out or at the very least we get to pretend we're just that little bit more together with our lives. Or maybe we hold so tightly to the idea of calling people out because otherwise we just might need to question and acknowledge just how ineffective it largely has been, especially when we don't have a lot of other ideas of how to deal with people this may not come as a like terrible surprise but Christians are actually not the only people that have like had this question and struggled with this issue that um, the science of behavior modification is it's had this trouble as well so 30 40 years ago um, the fields of addictive behavior treatment psychology um, pretty much leaned into models that were telling people what they were doing was wrong and bad for them and they should stop doing it. Obviously, it's more complicated than that, but that still featured quite heavily at the time. And shockingly, such psychologists found that this was not actually very helpful. It was largely ineffective, in fact. And in many, many cases, people actually became more convinced of their need for um, drugs, alcohol, and gambling. They became less likely to change. Because when people were challenged and presented with the information about why they shouldn't use these substances or shouldn't engage in these behaviors, they instinctively responded defensively. was, this is how I got into the situation in the first place, or this is the only coping mechanism I have, or I have no one else to turn to, or all the other thing. And at the end of the day, they were actually most convinced by what they heard themselves say. The pertinent information that stuck with them was the memory of them saying out loud why they had nothing else to, why they had no other options, r- regardless of how much information they were presented with on why it was bad for them, why it was wrong, and why they should do something else. And that's on top of all the really obvious stuff we know, like guilt and shame are not exactly really, really effective motivators for change. That when you make someone feel bad about the decisions and bad about themselves, they don't really feel exactly good about their capacity to change their behavior. Not to mention when you just apply a bucket of negative emotions onto someone, it's a really, really good trigger for further avoidance behavior. Um, it goes round and round. And I, I wonder a lot how after, let's say, about 40 years of research into the ineffectiveness of this approach, it still is our default for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the treatment, good news, the treatment modality bought out of this research 40 years ago. It's called motivational interviewing. I won't subject all of you to a <laughs> psychology lecture that you did not ask for. Um, <laughs> But there's lots of interesting things in about it, um, understanding that people come through different levels of desire to change and motivation to change, um, preparing for the inevitability of relapse and falling backwards, going out of your way to avoid triggering people's defensiveness and having them tell you why they must use the substances or avoidance strategies they are. But the one really, really distinctive feature of um, this. Uh, treatment model that I always think about in the context of faith communities is, this is going to be really psychobabbly but I will explain it, eliciting discussions about preferred alternative futures to create cognitive dissonance between now and their current behaviour and that future. So that was a lot of words, i have to say it anyway, um, in case somebody with a psychology degree listens to me. Um, What that actually means in English is giving people a space to draw out their hopes and dreams, what they want their life to look like so that they have a bit of space to feel the gap between that trajectory towards that life and their current one so that little steps can be made between those trajectories that they can identify when they say out loud who they want to be. And I kind of wonder what it would be like if as globally as a church that was our response if, th- if in response to difference, to struggles and to failings, we responded with opening up discussions with people about what they wanted to do with their lives, about how they want to change the world and gave people and the Holy Spirit the space to help them become that person that can change the world in those ways. And I know this is a pure hypothetical, but I just wonder if, that's, if that had been the approach that I treated people with, and if that had been the approach that I'd been treated with, would I so quickly jump back to that image of the the rule-conscious God the second I start to feel there's something in my life to change?